You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Good morning, how are we doing? All right, well, if this is your first time here, we're really excited that you're here, and hopefully someone who's been regularly attending um, made you feel welcome. And if you've been hanging out with us for the whole summer, I really do hope that you've been growing in your relationship with the Lord. And so, if you don't know, we're in our um, nine-part series. We're coming to the tail end of it, and it's the DNA series, right? And so this is basically us as a church, Redemption City Church, establishing our values and our characteristics that we want to be known for and ultimately marked by. And so we started off, if you see on the screen, on June 9th with what does it mean to be a community that's marked by the gospel, right? That's the whole reason why we have a hope. It's why we get to gather every Sunday morning. It's what our foundation is. And then we looked at what does it mean to be marked by grace? And then we looked at what does it mean to be marked by generosity? And then we experienced a low adversity and we were not able to come to the Arbory. And so we moved our service to Pastor Jack's house. And we had a special pancakes prayer and pathway where we leaned in and we asked that the Lord might provide the things that we needed him to provide. And then in less than seven days, We got an email um, from the Arbory and their legal team saying that they had resolved the issues and that we would be able to continue. And this was good news. And so we celebrated that because God is good. Amen. Is God good? Is God good? Man. um, So then we looked at what does it mean for us to be a community that's marked by gathering? Like the people of God, we come together, we lift up God's name, we worship, and we talked about that in great detail. And then what does it mean to be marked by going? Because after we come together and we celebrate what God's done, We get this beautiful opportunity um, demonstrated in Matthew chapter 28 when we get this great commission to interact with the gospel with those who do not know Jesus. And then, guys, we transition in the DNA series to this relationship part, right? And we we really dived into what does it mean to be a a biblical man and what does it mean to be a biblical woman? And there was a lot, a lot of foundation that we laid um, over a two-week process of looking at biblical manhood and, and womanhood. And then this week, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to have unity, within the family unit. And then next week we conclude this series and I'm really excited and we talk about what does it mean to have covenant family and membership. And so if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, I want you to open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and that's where we're going to be um, starting in just a little bit. And so because we're a brand new church, I just want to kind of explain why we use what's called the ESV version as our primary translation here. So the English Standard Version, me and, and Pastor Jack as elders of this church believe that it's the best translation that gives you a word-for-word depiction of what God's original text said while also being readable and understanding uh, understandable for the average everyday Bible reader. And so, look, I just want to lay a proper foundation as we get ready to talk about this unity within the family unit, because honestly, I've been saying this the last couple of weeks, anytime we are dealing with things to do with relationship, husband and wife, singlehood, family, it's going to run really, really close to some people's hearts. And we've seen that over the last couple of weeks. And honestly, it really does run very close to some people's pain. And so um, this topic, just like biblical manhood and womanhood, 
it's split marriages apart. It's split churches apart. It's split denominations apart. And we're not here to have a theological debate. We are here as a church to establish what Redemption City Church is going to be known for, defined by, and rooted in, right? And so there's just a few things that I want to continue to lay out as a proper foundation so that we can be on the same page. And so it's going to be on the screen for you. And that's this. We believe the God of the Bible is true. We really do believe that and that he is the only real God and that he created everything that exists, including certain systems and institutions, right? Like the institution of marriage, the institution of family, the institution of church. God created all these things and he's done it for primarily two reasons. Number one, the first reason is for the glory of his name, right? Like if you don't take anything else away from this conversation, this three-week conversation on relationships. I want you to know that all of who you are, all that you're who you're going to become, all that God has designed you to be, all of what you see created around you is for the glory of His name, right? Like, I'm not the point. You're not the point. God is the point. And as you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus, you will find that that is really good news. The second reason is for the joy of His people. Like, God's ways are always superiorly, ultimately better than our ways. And this is what's really good. The Word of God always sets up the people of God for ultimate joy. For ultimate joy. And so, just like I said the last two weeks, I'm going to say it one more time this week, which is expect some difficult moments in today's sermon. Like, there may be some moments where you're like, Man, did Pastor Brennan, did he just say that? He just said something last week. I'm trying to recover from that. He said something else like, this is a lot for me to handle. And I, and I want to remind you that you're still not going to get all your answers today. Like, there's no one-hour conversation that we can have that's going to answer all of your questions about what it means to have unity as a family. What I'm hoping and what I'm praying is that this sermon can be a launch pad of a conversation that you and your families go and you continue that dialogue at home. I'm excited about um, the men's den night. These are opportunities, men, where we're going to be able to go to stage two and stage three of these conversations. And the same thing for the women as we keep developing that. And so here, I want to be faithful to God's word. I want you to be faithful to listening to God's word as we enter into um, his presence. You guys ready? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each and every day you grant us life and life abundantly. And that's a precious gift of grace to be deeply considered this morning. Don't let us miss it, God. Thank you for your opportunity to briefly talk about this this topic of unity within the family unit. Thank you for our kids that are across the street in our kids club um, and the provision that you have over there, the people who are serving right now. Don't let us miss that. You know our needs there, Lord. Please provide. Make it known today what you want us to do with our families and our homes in ways that ultimately glorify you. I pray that every married couple would consider what steps can be taken right now to best prepare for the children you've planned for them in the future, because it does start right now, God. I pray for the single person that's here this morning that thinks that perhaps this sermon's not for them. Don't let them believe that lie, God. 
Help them to find where they fit into this story as you are preparing them, Lord. Perhaps you're healing childhood wounds or you're establishing um, their eyesights for a future spouse where they get to walk out these commandments that you've um, given us for our joy. And so we invite you here, not because you need an invitation, but because our hearts, Lord, we want them centered on you. And so help us to submit to your word. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. You know, so the one thing that the Bible talks about loudly all the way throughout the Bible regarding the people of God is unity. In fact, we're going to be looking at an illustration right now, as you see on the screen, of a video of that being happening right etched into creation. Now, you may be thinking, what does this have to do with anything, right? Well, these are a group of ants, right, that are literally moving a dead gecko up, and it's hard to see on the video, but it's a dead gecko up a slanted wall about eight feet high. Like, when you think about the, the implications of these ants moving this dead gecko that's literally 250 times the size of a, of a single ant, it's pretty crazy. Now, I want you to see like um, a, a size to scale picture right now that's going to be up here. I mean, if you look at this ant, it's literally about the, the size of one of the gecko's phalanges, right? Like literally one little, one little finger, one little toe. And it's really crazy, right? Like this ant alone cannot accomplish much in terms of moving this gecko anywhere. But when these ants come together as a collective unit, what seemingly looks impossible becomes impossible. Now, becomes possible. Now, dictators around the whole world, they know that this is true. Now, my background, my undergraduate degree was in history. And I can tell you that throughout human history, dictators' primary focus, right, throughout human history has been to not allow the people in their countries to unify. Like they intentionally, on purpose, would separate them because they knew that if the people unified, their rulership would dissipate and that their power would reign, right? And so I don't know if you're familiar with the wars that were going on back in 2011 with Egypt and Libya, but um, when the dictators were thrown out of their seats of power in 2011, this was, even though they had like a, a strong, mighty military behind them, they were thrown out of, out of power by the people in that country when the people were able to embody two things. One, unity. And the second was agreement in that unity, what they were going to do about that. So once the people unified and they had enough agreement, they were able to declare enough is enough in a better way is possible. And that's really the center of today's sermon, today's message, namely that marriage and family is the most powerful institution designed by God on earth when each member seeks unity. And here's the thing, glad agreement, not any kind of agreement, not frustrated agreement, not I'll just do it and get along agreement. Glad is like, I should have put it in bold, like glad agreement. Like when the family comes together in unity and when they go forth in glad agreement around the things of God, we can declare against the culture of sin and depravity and oppression and marital and relational difficulties that enough is enough and that a better way with Christ is possible. Like redemption is possible. And you know what? God has not only been whispering this throughout all of creation, even those who are 
unbelievers know that this is untrue. I want to look at a secular organization's take on the importance of the institution of family right now. And so as you see on the screen, this is from the Social Institutions Academy of America, right? And this is what they had to say. The institutions of family has three critically important functions. To provide joint partnership for the rearing of children, you tracking with me? To provide a sense of identity, belonging, and direction. This is not a Christian organization, and direction among its members. Without strong families, I love this, we estimate, right? This, their whole corporation is to study relationships. We estimate that society collapses, right? So this organization has identified a couple things, right? We need joint partnerships. Like it takes two people to rear children properly, right? That's what they're saying. They're saying that, that when that happens, that we can provide a sense of identity. But here's the question as Bible-believing, Christ-exalting Christians. What is that identity? And a sense of belonging, what are we teaching our children to belong to? And direction among its family members. But what is that direction? And then ultimately, it's able to transmit the culture between generations. And that is a big question. What are we, what are we transmitting to the next generation? Well, we looked over the last two weeks on what God has to say about that joint partnership, and we call that complementarianism. And that's essentially, um, it's a beautiful picture of biblical man and biblical women coming together in this beautiful institution called marriage. It's a man lovingly and gently um, living and serving his wife, caring for her. It's a woman gladly submitting through her affectionate and caring and affirming support of her husband. It's aligning towards something that's so much greater than yourself that it requires Christ for you to accomplishment. Now, it's definitely a transmitting of something, but what are we ultimately transmitting? Like, I think deep down in our hearts, we know that this family unit thing is infinitely important. But more importantly, God knows that it's infinitely important. And he has a lot, thank God, he has a lot to say about that. And so let's look at what he said as he inspired Paul to share about this in 1 Corinthians. And this is the word of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united, unified, unity, in the same mind and of the same judgment, right? This is the word of the Lord. So families, as you write down, families are called, they're called by God to be unified by being of the same mind and being of the same judgment. Now, one of the things that I'm most passionate about as a pastor and that I want you guys to be passionate about, and as we start to make these steps towards covenant membership, I want us to be known for as a community. I want us to love the Word of God. I want us to be saturated in the Word of God. Like, I love books. I love leadership books. I love going to the Christian bookstore. I love reading what other people have to say about it. But ultimately, I want you to be empowered to pick up that Bible, to break down that text for yourself because Christ is in you so that you can have the hope that Christ has offered you, right? And so what does it mean to be of the same mind in judgment? I want you to feel confident about what's happening in this verse. Here we go. All right, to be of the same mind in judgment speaks about our loves, our wants, and our desires, 
right? Like, this is about that which you most love, desire, and are devoted to, right? Um, in the Journeyman Discipleship, um, Discipleship book, a book that I wrote that I think we'll be able to go through at some point, I, I call this our affections, all right? What, where are your affections taking you? When you consider your family, what do you love the most? Is there unity or is there division around that? And more importantly, is this the kind of unity that Paul is urging us to? I want you to think about that. The next one is we want to have unity around our goals and our ambitions. Our goals and ambitions. Now, this is speaking to the things that we pursue, right? Like what is pulling us in life? I want you to think about this. Like you can't, just like the video said before, like don't be a, a casual bystander. Like lean in with me to today. And I want you to think about yourself. Think about your family. Where, where do you find yourself? Like what is pulling your family through life? What are you chasing after? Like what is your family? What are your children learning from you about what you're chasing after? Do you have unity around that as a family or is there division? And then is this the kind of unity that you think Paul's talking about when he says same mind and same judgment? The next one. We want to have unity of being in the same mind and the same judgment around our trajectories and our destinations. Now, this speaks to what is your family's mission? Like, as a, like for us, the Rochelle family, we have a mission, right? Like, I love that. I have a mission statement for my life. Like, what is your mission? Where do you hope your marriage and your children land? Like if I was to ask you in a pastoral counseling session, hey, when you get to the end of your life and you consider my family, we lived successfully, what would, what would be your definition of that? Um, what would be considered a success? And do you and your hus husband and wives, do you have true unity around that? Or is there division? And what do you think Paul is urging us towards in that? And then finally, um, we want to have the same mind and the same judgment around our convictions and our beliefs, right? Our convictions and our beliefs. Now, this is speaking to fundamentally, what do you believe most about life and the world around you? What is your faith founded upon? Like, ultimately, what do you believe in? And do you and your husband truly have unity around what you believe? Or do you have division? And what kind of unity regarding your convictions and beliefs is Paul urging you to, urging you towards? So even though that this verse is talking about the church being unified, I want you to know faithfully that he's 100% talking about the family. And so I want you to track with me. The church is literally filled with individuals, couples, and families that come together in this beautiful institution we call church. So when Paul is urging the church towards something, he's emphatically urging individuals, couples, and families towards this aim. Like, listen, don't think of church as buildings and brick and mortar and, and the aesthetics, right? Like, that's not the church. The church is the people. We are the people. We are the church. We make the church. This is 100% Paul talking to individual families that are coming together. But here's the thing. What exactly are we supposed to do as family units? What are we centering it around? 
right? That really is the question. And before we look at what that primary thing we're supposed to be doing that Paul's talking about, before we look at that, because it's healing, it's redemptive, we have good news coming today. But before we do that, I want to explore some of the wrong primary targets that often plague our families. They're causing division, they're causing pain, they're causing brokenness. And I want us to be alert. I want to arm you with these things. And I want, it, I want you to discover, is your family suffering from any of these? All right, here. So here's some wrong primary targets of unity for the family. The first one, are kids educational, athletic, and financial success? Listen to me. Challenging our kids to achieve their personal best in school is good, good parenting. It's great parenting. Setting them up for future success so they can be good financial stewards, let me tell you, is good, good parenting. Encouraging them to work hard in sports develops good character. That's, that's good parenting. But lean in with me. But when these things become our primary aim, our primary aim, where we center all of our time and all of our affections on, I want you to know as Christians that this is wrong. And that is not what Paul is urging us towards. Like we as Jesus' disciples, we do not obsess over temporary things, even when they are good things. Listen, our kids are not dumb. They're intuitive, right? Like they can pick up on what mom and dad are saying is most important. You know how? By where we steward our time. Your children are learning 90%, okay? Psychologists say 90% of what your children, that is a, that's a crazy number. 90% of what your children learn are not what you teach them audibly with your words. Did you know that? That's only 10%. 90% of what they learn comes from what they watch you do with your affections. Is it God or is it money? Is it their academic and athletic performance? Or is it their Christian character? What are you teaching them? Not just with your words, but with your actions. The family that finds their primary unity around their kids' educational, athletic, and financial success is in trouble because it sets them up to teach and to model to our children that these things are most important. Here's another one that um, a lot of families, we fall into this trap. Our love for materialism and living comfortably. Living comfortably. Like, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with working hard and enjoying nice things, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Like, God wants us to enjoy our life. Like, He's created this creation around us and He wants us to interact with that and He wants us to have joy when we do that. Like, having a beautiful home and investing into it. Over the years, that's, that's, that's great, right? It, it can build family traditions. It can build family milestones. These are good things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to lean in and have a beautiful home and to build a family around a beautiful home. But when you're demanding your comfort, you tracking with me? When you demand that, when your decisions and your intentions are always centered on what's most enjoyable, like when your house and your car and your vacation becomes your primary place where your family is centering their unity around, I want you to know as fellow Christians that this is wrong. And that is not what Paul is urging us towards. 
Like, what do you think it means when Christ calls us in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26, when he says, to pick up your cross daily and to follow me? Like, does that sound to you to pick up your cross and to die daily? Does that sound like a life that's lived around comfort or a life that's surrounded by difficulty? Like, does that sound like a life that's lived in the safety of our illustrious suburbs? Or does that sound like a life where we're being called to risk some things for the kingdom of God? Like getting in the muck and the mire. The family unit, listen to me, the family unit that finds its primary unity around materialism and comfort is in trouble because it sets us up to love our comfort in all the things that are created more than the one who's created them and what he's called us to. And we want to be alert to that. He's invited us to suffer with his son because of the gospel. What does it mean? Like, I just want to sit right there and talk about that, but I'm really looking forward to our family discipleship series where we can just really dig into all of this. We're going to keep going. And the next one is our devotion to our careers and wealth. Like enjoying our jobs and wanting to do them well, that's the mark of good Christian character. I want to raise my son and daughter to not just go to work, but to love their work. I don't care if it's, a, if it's in the church or if it's a secular job. I want them to do it well. Right? Um, being good stewards of our land and our resources and establishing financial stability, that's great. That's called being marked by generosity. When you're financially stable, you can even be more generous for God's kingdom. That's great. Like positioning ourselves to have good resources to activate that for God's kingdom, that's good news. But when we unify our families around our careers and around even financial stability, as the primary place of our unity, I want you to know, as fellow Christians, that this is wrong. And that this is not what Paul is urging us to in terms of being of the same mind and of the same judgment. Like for many of us, let's just be honest, our careers, our financial stability, our wealth, it's our greatest ambition, 100%. Like, it's our greatest sense of security. It's not God. It's, it's our money. It's not faith in Him. It's faith in ourselves. The family unit that finds its primary place, that keyword's primary, it's not bad. When it's your primary place that you're unifying your family around, work and money, it's in trouble because it sets us up to be more preoccupied with our careers and storing up, ready for the gospel, remember this? wealth in our barn houses instead of being activated for God's kingdom. We all struggle at different levels with all of these, right? Thank God for Marked by Grace, that sermon. You got to hold them all in tension, right? Another one, our emotional success. Here's another way of thinking through that. How can I be most happy? Some of us, our whole unity is around happiness. Like, let's just be honest, some of us, our whole life is about how can I be happy? I want to be happy. I want to be happy all the time. Like every decision that you make, everything that you do is all centered around, I want to be happy and I'm not happy. And so when I'm not happy, then I go out of my way and I change things, I move life around, I switch jobs, everything is centered on I want to be happy. Listen to me, God has not I got some unfortunate news and I got some good news, okay? 
Here, here's unfortunate news. God has not promised that you're going to be happy. <laughs> in fact, he said, in this world, you will have... Oh, I love it. In this world, you will have... In this world, you will have trouble. John 16, 33 says, in this world, you have trouble. He hasn't promised you happiness. So if your primary source of unity as a family is around happiness all the time, I want you to know, as fellow Christians, that this is wrong. And that's not what Paul is urging us towards. Like, if you are living as Christ has called you to, you give up temporary happiness often for the aim of this, eternal joy. Joy is far superior than temporary happiness. Happiness is conditional on events and circumstances. Joy is foundational upon Christ and he never fails us. Now, how do you find that joy is a whole other sermon. Now, it doesn't make our, think about this, it doesn't make me happy as a pastor to have spent the last 14 years in ministry to meet with people in suffering, of marital suffering, individual suffering, sexual suffering, spiritual suffering. It doesn't make me happy, but I do it. I do it because of Christ and love, and I get a lot of joy out of that. But it'd be weird to say, I'm happy about that. Like, it doesn't make spouses happy when they have to caretake for a disabled spouse, or maybe your kid has a, a disease or cancer. You think that they're happy in doing that? No, but they do it because of Christ's love, and they get joy out of that. Are you tracking with me? Like, it doesn't make a missionary happy to be exposed to multiple diseases all the time and to enter into harsh conditions, to literally experience gut-wrenching homesickness as they're away from everything that is a source of comfort. You think that they're happy? No, but they do it because of Christ and love, and they get joy out of that. You see, the family unit that finds its primary unity around emotional success or being happy all the time, um, it sets their children up to learn this. I'm going to spend every ounce of my days and every ounce of my energy and every ounce of my resources to be happy. And here's some bad news, folks. If you teach your children that with your words or with your actions, I want you to know something. You're going to disappoint them because the pursuit of happiness will always disappoint. And if you've been living long enough, you know that the pursuit of happiness always disappoints in the end. Here's the last one. This one may seem the most weird to you. Our marriages and families. Oh, heresy. What's going on? Pastor Brandon said our families. We shouldn't unify around our families. Well, um, you may have even been to some Christian conferences. Honestly, you may have been to a Christian conference that said, your marriage is the center. Your family is the center. I want you to know that if you're centering your primary source of unity around your marriage and your family, as Christians, this is wrong. And that is not what Paul is urging us towards. Like wives, all the wives in here, or wives-to-be, <laughs> I want you to lean in. Your husbands cannot and were not created to bear that heavy weight to be the center of everything for you. They will fail you and you are setting yourself up to be utterly disappointed. Okay? Husbands, ready? Lean in, your turn. Your wives cannot 
and we're not created to bear the heavy weight of being the center of all that you unify around, you will be disappointed and they will be totally exhausted from that weight. Listen to me. Our children cannot and were not created to bear the heavy weight of being the center of what you are unifying around. This is, this is a huge problem in American culture. The idolizing of our children. Stop doing that. You are ruining them. The family, <laughs> the family that unites primarily around their marriages and their families are in trouble because it sets them up to miss something far superior, far more glorious, because we, our marriages and our families are to be lived in light of eternity. We live in light of eternity. Now, again, all these things can be really good things, right? Like our marriages and our family and educational pursuits, they're all good things, but they're often not in the proper place. And that causes problems in our families. It leads to family quarrels, it leads to family division. Husbands, wives, and children are fighting, and it's all because of the division, and people are hurt. But here's what I want you to know, and it's going to be on the screen for you. Unity within the family unit starts with our foundational relationships as sons and daughters of God. Pastor Jack referenced being sons and daughters of God earlier right? Unity within the family unit. I want you to say this one with me. Unity within the family unit. Oh, folks, come on. Unity within the family unit starts with our foundational relationship as sons and daughters of God. This is good news. Listen, you might be like, oh, no, not one of those Bible answers. I thought you were going to give me like practical help. Hold on. Hold on. This is, this is weighty information. Like, lean in with me. Almost all of your relational issues between husband and wife, mom and child, husband and child, all of these relational issues, guys, they don't start there at home. Paul says that the battle is not against flesh and blood, that the battle is in the spiritual places of principalities. Like, what do you think he means by that? So often we're fighting the wrong fight. It doesn't start there. It starts with being sons and daughters of God. And here's where it starts. It starts with individuals in defiance with what God has called us to. It's about husbands not submitting to God's design for them as biblical men. It starts with wives not submitting to God's design for them as biblical women. It starts with children having no trajectory and no idea where to fit into this crazy, terrible world. And it plays out in families fighting, arguing, quarreling, hurting each other, and trying to solve it at the horizontal level when the problem is a vertical problem. It's a defiance against the God of the universe. So, the question is, if this is true, and it is, that families, the family unit needs to start 
with the foundational understanding that we are sons and daughters of God? How do we activate that foundation as sons and daughters of God, where our primary unity can now become renewed? Here's where it is. Here's the answer. In Christ, through His church, for His glory, resulting in our family's joy. Oh my goodness, that, there's a lot right there. There's a lot of good news right here. In Christ, through His church, for His glory, resulting in our family's joy. Wow. Let's deal with the unity the unity in Christ part, then we're going to look at how we get to his, through his church, okay? So in John chapter 17, verse 20 through 23. Now, if you've been coming um, over these, these sermons, you know that I am jam-packing you with a foundation because, again, I'm, I'm building a culture. Not, I, I don't want to just preach about the 90-10% thing. Uh, I want to embody that. 10% of what we're doing today is me giving you this information and exhorting you by the power of the Holy Spirit. 90% is what you take out of here as you continue those conversations. I want to arm you with truth, and then I want you to engage with truth after. Here we go. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. This is the beautiful, perfect, infallible, sufficient word of God. I do not ask for these only, this is Jesus talking, but also for those who will believe in me through the word. I'm going to read real slow that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Wow, it's like Dr. Seuss right there, right? So that the word may believe that you have sent me. Oh my goodness. There is a, we got to stick right there. That they, may be, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. What's the purpose of all of that relational stuff? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Wow. The glory that you have given me, hmm, I have given to them. Hmm. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Are you noticing the interplay going on in this relationship dynamic again? Let me, let me try to help this make this sense. As Jesus is in the Father, we are in Jesus. Now, this is going to make a lot of sense if you miss biblical manhood and womanhood. I want to be honest. I want to encourage you to go back and listen to those sermons. As Jesus and the Father, we are in Jesus. Okay? But remember, we learned in Genesis from the last two weeks that when we are in Jesus, we're not in Jesus generically. Remember, I saw the lights go on for a lot of people last week. We're not in Jesus the image generically. We're in Jesus individually as women and as men. It plays out in our gender relationships, okay? As, as Christ then submits his leadership to God, okay, tracking with me? Husbands submit their leadership to Christ. 
Then as husbands submit their leadership to Christ, women should exercise their submission to their husbands. Are you seeing this like this 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 flow? You still with me? As women then submit their their uh, submit to their husbands, their children willfully submit to their parents. This is how unity in the family works. Our primary source of unity is Christ, and then it trickles from there. Now, God and Christ, they do it perfect. They don't mess up, right? So the father, the son's glad submission, he does that 24-7. Monday through, sun, Monday through Saturday, twice on Sunday, right? So where do you think that the first link in this beautiful chain usually breaks? It doesn't break with the son submitting to the father. Where is this breaking, this beautiful lineage that's being described? Well, hey guys, how you doing? It's, it always starts with us. We looked at that in Genesis. Men, when we don't gladly submit to Christ's authority force, first, we thwart the whole chain and it breaks. It breaks. It breaks. What does it mean for men to gladly submit to Christ's authority? It means it's not about you. It is not about all of what you want. It's about you submitting to Christ so that you set your wife up to be able to submit to you. We can't get into that too much more, but we're going to look at that if you accept that challenge to come to den night. Because men, we need to be men. We're going to talk about what that means. See, the problem is so many of us in this, this lineage, we're doing it backwards. We don't value Christ enough. He's not supremely valuable. Like, for, we, don't, we don't put him first when it comes to our time and our attentions and our desires. Like, we literally choose what we want for our marriages. We choose what we want for our families and our children and our desires and our goals and our ambitions. And then we say, God, I'm going to fit you in. I'm going to fit you in where I can find a spot for you. Because I got goals I'm working on. We got we, we to gotta save up for our 401k. So you're, you're secondary right now, but it's just a season. And when I'm ready, I'll get back into my small group. I'll get back into my church. Like, not right now. 90% of what you're teaching your children is what you do with your time. They're watching you. Hey, this is not a condemnation. This is actually good news. You want to know why? I, probably one of the biggest things that I've dealt with in pastoral counseling is this. Men feeling incapable of leading their families. Women, I want you to know the average man has a good heart and they want to. They feel like they don't know how. And I want you to know that most men that sit down with me are not saying, I don't want to. They're saying, I don't feel like I don't know how. I don't know how to open up the Bible. I don't know how to lead my wife in devotions. I don't know how to teach my children the Bible. I don't know how. Hey, that's good. here's the good news. Only 10%, guys, is going to be what you teach them. Isn't that good news? Like, you don't have to be a perfect Bible teacher. You don't have to know how to do it all. But well, you know what you can control? 100% what you teach them with your life and your time, how you, 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 you lean into your wife. You do that. And you say, church is a priority. Even if you're struggling with it, you just do that. You do that. We're going to do that every Sunday. Hey, finding a church family where we can really grow, where I can really grow, because it starts with me, wife, it's a priority. And I can't compromise that. I'll make the sacrifices financially, whatever it takes. But we got to do this. I want our kids to know we do this thing called church, this thing called 
Christianity, this thing called being in a relationship with Jesus. Men, you don't have to be eloquent. You just have to be faithful. That's good news. That is really good news. Hmm. Now, that's unity in Christ. Christ is the center. You still tracking with me? Unity in Christ. Okay, we express that unity in Christ through the church, okay? Through the church. Let's look at Psalms 133. We're going to see some passages that you've read before, but maybe you've never seen them in this way. Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard. On the beard of Aaron. Oh, I love it. Running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forevermore. Can you see? God is promising a blessing when we seek this type of unity. Now, just in case you didn't understand, whenever you see the word brothers, it doesn't mean like blood brothers. This is referring to the people of God. Okay, this is referring to the church. It, it could easily be said and translated, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when Christians dwell in unity. Therefore, if it says, When Christians dwell in unity, Christians dwell through the church. The church is the embodiment of individuals and families. That's all a church is. Therefore, let's do it again. Behold, how good and pleasant is it when families dwell in unity. You start to see this beautiful word. You can handle this. You can read this text. Don't let the enemy tell you that. This is for you. You know what I love about what I'm sensing in the Holy Spirit doing in our, like, let's be honest. In Oregon, we talked about that. The average sermon is 25, 30 minutes. We push an hour, right? All the time. I'm seeing you guys lean in. I'm seeing our, 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 our appetite grow, and, and it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. All right, let's, let's, let's get in this. Um, if we actually sought to unify around Christ first, husband starting with you, and then we believed that that was to be expressed through the church, you still follow me? You tracking with me? I wonder what would happen to our singles in our churches and how their pursuit would change for their spouses. Like, what if it was all about the church? Because it is. Like, what if singles learned how to find relationships by being able to watch other people in relationships in church? Like, what if young married couples learned how to grow in maturity as married couples by looking at older couples in our church? Like, what if our children learned how to interact with adults because they watched it happen in the church. Like, what if our children learned what it means to, to respect authority and submission because they watched it play out in the church in how you interact with your leaders, your elders, how you honor them? Like, what if the church was the center of our lives as Christ is in the center of the church? In Christ, through His church, for God's glory. This is all about the Father's glory. Listen to me, not, not even Jesus' glory. Whoa, 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 we talked about that. Again, you're gonna to have to interact with biblical manhood, image of God. 
Jesus says he does all things for the Father's glory. Jesus says, I came not for my will, but for my Father's will. This is important, not because we are belittling Jesus. We it's impossible to belittle Jesus. We have a right relationship because of Jesus. We get to talk to our Father because of Jesus. But Jesus wants us to know what I'm going to say right now. He died for this message. We do this for the Father's glory. The Father's glory. Because when we do things for the Father's glory, here's what God because God is the one that gives us promises, the Father. God promises that our families will have joy. We looked at that, that there will be blessings bestowed upon us. Blessings bestowed upon us. Now, hmm, I want to look towards, I want to look towards Joshua now, as we get ready to land the plane in Scripture for some wise counsel, because Joshua, he, he really gets this unity in the family thing really right. And so this is going to be where we land the plane from the scripture. And then after this, we're going to end with, with a heart and home check. Okay, you got that? We're going, to, we're going to look at Joshua for a second, and then we're going to have a heart and a home check. And then we're going to invite the Lord as we pray. Hmm. Now, if you don't know Joshua, Joshua's from the Old Testament. A lot of us know Moses more. Moses was responsible, charged um, with the, appointed as a leader to help bring the people out of Egypt into the promised land. Moses passes away and Joshua is the next man in line appointed to continue that. Well, here's the problem. During Moses' reign, the family units, they kind of never got that unity thing figured out. And as a result, I want you to feel this weight. As a result of them not figuring out, oh, by the way, that Moses story that you've watched, Prince of Egypt, oh, that's about the family units not being unified. Families not being unified. So unfortunately, because the families could not figure out how to become unified, then therefore becoming a people that were unified, then therefore being unified um, under their leader, Moses, who was submitting under Christ, um, they perished and they never saw the promised land. And Moses never saw the promised land. And this is what the enemy wants for you and me and our families. He wants you to never find that unity and he wants you to perish. And he never wants you to taste the milk and the honey. He never wants you to experience the promised place that God has for you. So, Josh, so Joshua, here goes Joshua, right? So Joshua's like, uh-uh, this isn't going to happen again, right? He's watched Moses. He's watched it all happen. So he gives this speech um, and he basically says, I mean, there's a lot going on there, but I mean, this is one sermon, right? So in this, in this speech, he's like saying, if, if you do what God says, this is going to happen. If you don't do what God says, this is what's going to happen. And so this speech goes on and on for quite a while. He's going back and forth. He's saying, do this. if you do this, God's going to do this. If you don't do this, God's going to do this. And then at the end, something beautiful, he says. Here we go. So here goes Joshua. This is the end of a long passage, right? I want, if you want to see what's going on here, go home and do that. Do that. Open up that Bible. Here we go. Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Now, after everything that I've said, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Why? Because I just told you what's going to happen if you don't. <laughs> okay? Put away the gods. Let's, I'm going to keep translating. It's my job. Put away the idols. Put away lifting up your marriage and your happiness and your wants and your desires and your perfect home and your perfect... Put away your idols of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. In other words, Joshua is saying, stop it. Here we go. But as for... We all know this one, right? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Here's what he's saying. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord above all things. We're going to serve the Lord above our educational pursuits. We're going to serve the Lord above our athletic and financial goals. We're going to serve the Lord before we consider our materialism and our comfort. We're going to serve the Lord before we prioritize our careers and our wealth. We're going to serve the Lord before we make happiness our priority. We're going to serve the Lord above all things. Is that good news? This is good news. This will transform everything. And so um, the, the family that can unify in Christ and believes that he wants us to do that through the church, but that requires an understanding of covenant family, and that's where we end next week. For the Father's glory, God promises you joy. I don't know about you, but I want that joy. So let's end with a heart and home check. You ready? All right. First, some of you may be interacting with the sermon, and you may say, I'm doing really, really well. My marriage is doing really well here. My family's doing really well here. And I want to say, good job. Well done. Keep going forward. Spur us on. Be that example. Be that light in this Redemption City community. We need you. Good job. Well done. But be alert for the enemy. Be alert. But other of us today, we need to be honest with ourselves. Like, this is a safe place to be honest. It's literally on the front page of our website. It is okay to not be okay. It is a saying that many churches have. You can go, you can just type that phrase into Google, and you're going to pull up like 29 books. Like, it's it's like a famous phrase. It's okay to not be okay. But here's the added part that we believe here. It's okay to not be okay. God will meet you there, but here, 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 here's where we have to grow. As long as we don't stay that way. Christ didn't die for us to stay not okay. He died so that you could become okay in Him. I don't know what you have going on in your world and in your life, but Christ, has, Christ is offering you redemption. So let's be honest about where we're at. It's okay to be where you're at. Some of us behind closed doors at the deepest levels, how are you really doing? I need you to ask, I need you to be honest with yourself and the Lord, not me. How are you really doing? And how is your family doing? Are you really unified at a fundamental level around what we've talked about? Is Christ in the center of your home? For others of us, our marriages and our relationships and our families are barely holding on, right? Hey, hey, hey. Like, I know we got to write things down. You guys are being great students. Like, hey, some of us are struggling right now. And there's a huge lack of unity. And I'm sorry that you're in pain. And it's causing some deep wounds. What part of yourself are you not surrendering to Jesus? Because I'm here to tell you that the source of the problem is not horizontal. But you don't know, Pastor, if I could just get that meeting with you, you know, I just would, if you knew what my husband was doing, if you knew what my wife was doing, hey, man, we can't, I can't, I, you got to look at the biblical man. If you are being abused, I am not talking to you. If you're being abused in any way, sexually, physically, verbally, I'm not talking to you. And I'm asking that you come talk to me. 
because it's our job to make sure that you're protected. I'm not talking about that kind of verbal abuse. I'm talking about marital quarreling and just fighting and getting on each other's nerves and just having a lack of love sometimes. Hey, what are you not surrendering to the God of the universe? Because that's the source. We want to walk you through that as pastors here, but you've got to be vulnerable and share. For some of us, there's a true power struggle going on at home. Is that, is that the heart check for you? Like, husbands, you're fighting for your authority. Wives, you're fighting for your authority. Children are fighting for authority, fighting to be heard. There's division. How might it look differently if you said, we're going to stop the fight? We're going to stop posturing for who gets to make the decision. We're going to sit down. And we're going to pray. We're just going to pray. For, one, for five minutes, we're going to pray and put Jesus in the middle. For some of us, the wounds are way deeper than that. And we're in utter despair, and we are on literally life support. We're on life support. Oh my God. What would it look like for you to lean upon this family at Redemption City Church with that weight? Like, what would it look like, husbands, for you to humble yourselves? Pick up the phone to get on your computer and to email Pastor Jack or me or a leader or someone in the community and say, Brother, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. And I need help. And I can't do it. What would it look like? So that's manhood. I want that for you. That's what it means to be strong. In Jesus. But men, we have got, we have got to get to get it together. That's what the men's dead night's about. Like women, you got you can't do it alone. So I say, I need help. And I'm struggling. You gotta get off life support. The point of life support is someone's pumping. It's okay. Someone got some pump sometimes until you can pump on your own. That's what he built and died for the church for. It's why I'm up here. It's why I've dedicated my whole life to this. It's for you and for Christ's glory. And I want that for you. And I want that for your families. I'm not here to play church. I'm here to exhort the renown of Jesus' name because those beautiful children, they're waiting on me and you to get it together and to lead them, lead them, into biblical manhood and womanhood. And for some of us, and this is the worst one, we have what I call the primetime unity syndrome. This is something that I wrote about in a blog. I can, and if you want to look at that later, I can send that to you. It's a blog I wrote. Here's what, um, it's, just, it's just something I put together. Um, so men, this is something that I would use in our time. Prime time unity syndrome. Here's what it means. If I ever talk to you about it, this is what I mean. Prime time unity means that when the lights come on at church, at your children's school, or at your friend's house for dinner, 
When the spotlight is on, your family is unified. But as soon as your family is alone, behind closed doors, and the spotlight fades away, everything falls apart. And the true picture of where you're at is, illum is illuminated. Hey, I do not want primetime unity. I want Christ-centered unity for you and for my family. Are you tracking with me? I don't want you to live in prime time unity when the lights are on. I want you to have unity in your hearts because Christ has offered that to you. He's offered that to his children. We are sons and daughters of God. There's something beautiful God wants us to have here. And I'm praying that Redemption City Church can be a source of stability for you. And perhaps it can be a type of stability of relationships and Bible stability that you've never had in your life. Some of you may be in between churches. Some of you may have a church, but you, maybe you're not growing. Maybe you're, or maybe one half is growing and the other half's not growing. Like, listen to me. This is an all-in thing. It's not good enough for you to like a church because they have cool children's programs. It's not good enough because the wife loves the church, but her husband can't identify. It's not good enough for the husband to identify and the wife can't. This is how it starts. It starts with God's order. Man, husband, you need to decide with the loving support of your wife because of your gentle leadership and your desire to want to know her heart, what is best for your family. You need to lead. Ladies, let your husband find a place where he can grow because Listen to me, when your husband becomes vibrant in the Lord, it will change your life and it will be more than any church could ever offer you. And then, husbands, make sure your wife feels loved and supported in the community. And then make sure your children, track with me, rightly are being cared for. I want you to know something, because I refuse to build this church alongside Jack, under God, the wrong way. We will never, ever, ever be a fancy, programmatic children-centered church. It will not happen. This is the wrong church, if that is your aim. We will lift up God as primary. We will lift up man and woman and husband and wife as the vehicle of what Christ has said. He literally wants the gospel to go through. We will teach humbly and gently with reverence and equip husbands and wives because the primary discipleship is not our responsibility it is you to raise your children and then we will make sure that we have a children's ministry like we have and that starting in a couple weeks that is faithful to the Word of God that lifts up the Word of God our children are gonna go through this DNA series right like we're gonna move from just Jesus had two fish and bread and we're gonna move from just children illustrations because our children can interact with the, the radical grace and mercy of Jesus that's what Redemption City Church is going to be about. Next week, as we close this series out, we're going to look at what it means to become a covenant member of this church. And I hope that you are positioning your heart to really explore that no matter who you are today. Let's pray. Father of so much grace and mercy, we all, <laughs> we all need your grace and your mercy and we know you're willing to provide it this morning. Father, each of us, if we're being honest, we've fallen short in some way in this unity in the family thing. 
There's parts of our hearts that are selfish and self-centered and rude and simply uninterested with your way and your design for creation, Lord, for our marriages, for it all. I pray that you would stir up our affections, stir up our loves so that, Christ, you would be center. You are building a beautiful, beautiful church. You have provided this beautiful building of the Arbory. And we hope, Lord, as we, as we continue to do life here as a church in this beautiful building, that you would become more and more the center of what we lift up and what we exalt. For those who are wounded and hurting, heal. For those who are doing well, protect. No more broken pieces. No more broken pieces. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.